A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome to Underground Nights. I'm Paul Field in Bexhill-on-Sea and I'm joined as ever by my co-host in Atlantic Canada, Mr. James Mullinger. Hello. (laughs) James, welcome back. Yes, it's great to be back. I must admit, I've never been so excited to be recording one of these. I mean, I'm always excited a bit, but this time I feel, I mean, A, because something obviously very dramatic happened in our uh, uh, growing and and ever-enlarging friendship uh, last year in that we actually finally met in person after years of doing these podcasts together. Yeah, it was, do you know what? That was such a cracking day and, and you and Mark were very gracious and then obviously you took us on with you into the pub in the evening and Owen came along, our producer, who hadn't met before. Yeah, it was just one of those wonderful, I mean, you, as you and I had said many, many times, you know, we've, I mean, we're doing this podcast together. We have so much in common. I felt I consider you one of my best friends, have done for years, and then to finally be in a pub together, getting mashed up, uh, me still hung over from the Comedian's Guide premiere and just us bonding, mate, and meeting Owen. It was it was awesome. So uh, It was, especially when you, you seem quite nervous. You're like, oh, I'm really glad you're not a wanker. In real life, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it is worrying. I mean, I Absolutely. <laughs> it turns out you are as much of a legend in the flesh as you are on the podcast. So, uh, uh, you know, this is an exciting thing for for us and our listeners. That you know, regular listeners maybe didn't realise that we hadn't met in the flesh, and and now we have. So now it can only get better. Yeah, no, it was it was a, it was a cracking day, and uh, myself and Owen had a, a, a really good time. Um, we're going to do a little bit of uh, housekeeping before we get to the news. So, James, you were over for Comedian's Guide. How did it all go? What, what's what's been going on since then? Great, yeah, it was it was it was a joy, obviously, for me to kind of you know, I, I as regular listeners will know, I left London, England, you know, almost three years ago and moved to Canada for a better life, a different life. It's where my wife's from, and you know, I certainly never expected that my career to kind of take off uh, in a way that 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 it did in the respect that you know. 
I wasn't obviously working in films uh, in England and then suddenly get a call to say that, you know, a script that I'd written with Mark Murphy a few years ago was being made into a film and that obviously is about my early years in comedy is, is a weird thing to happen when you've left England behind, when you've kind of gone, fuck you, I'm leaving. And then suddenly this happens. So to come back for the premiere and be standing on the red carpet with Mark, who, you know, I dreamed about you know, making a film with when we were literally 12, 13 years old. And, and, you know, standing next to James Buckley and Richard Sandling, the comedian who, you know, a guy that I used to do gigs with to five people, literally a stone's throw from the, where the premiere was. All of those moments were absolutely wonderful. And, uh, you know, it was lovely to have so many nice comments from people. You know, and basically, I mean, the reviews were mixed. And by mixed, I mean, you know, people that matter, i.e. comedy critics, movie fans, uh, seemed to love it. And broadsheet journalists did not love it, which um, is a very apt point for me to make before we go into, you know, what this, this episode is going to be about, which is our... Uh, best films of the year because invariably the films that I love are not the best reviewed films. It's an odd thing when you read bad reviews of something you've spent years working on, especially because that used to be my job. You know, my job used to be someone that, that you know, as a critic, I would, for the most part, write uh, nice things because I've, I've always been a believer that, you know, nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. So I tended to just write about stuff that I liked, which I don't know if that maybe doesn't make me a proper journalist or not. But, I mean, to read a nice review of Comedian's Guide in total film was a dream come true. Make no mistake that picking up a, my, my favorite film magazine, the most reliable film magazine, and re reading a nice review from them was amazing. Um I won't lie, it was quite gutting when uh, Empire gave a, a stinking review because I grew up reading Empire magazine. Of course, it's a very different magazine now to what it was then. Then it was run by film lovers, film uh, film critics. I mean, the best film critics in the country wrote for it. Now it's shortlist staff. It's, you know, people that... Uh, we're writing Walkman reviews for, for you know, uh, the carpet of the London Underground. Uh, <laughs> now, now writing uh, film reviews, so it's quite odd. I mean, this is a, a magazine which I think the month before Comedian's Guide. Uh, Comedian's Guide, interestingly, they did claim to, to not be at all funny, which I... Uh, you know, but take—I uh, don't take that offensively because I think it's a very odd thing to state for someone to say that this film is not at all funny when, you know, the the comments from fans are that it's funny. People, I've sat in theaters and, and cinemas and watched people laugh, and the two most, uh, well, the two pretty much the two only comedy critics in the UK, Steve Bennett of Chortle and Bruce Dessau of The Evening Standard, who watched more stand-up comedy than anyone, both uh, comment, commented on the fact that unlike most films about comedy, it was very funny. Um, th they didn't say it was perfect, but they definitely said that it was uh, really, you know, somewhat realistic about depicting this kind of ridiculous life that comedians choose. So, yeah, it was an odd thing to have someone from Empire who's not really a film fan, not really a film critic, say it's not funny. Um, and this is the same magazine which the month before gave Bridget Jones's baby four stars. <laughs> and, and, and most shockingly commented on how brilliant the script was. And then they plucked out what they deemed to be the funniest line from this film, which was a line that Emma Thompson wrote for herself, which they claimed to be genius, which was how uh, this character says how, 
her ex-husband commented on watching his wife give birth was like watching his favorite pub burn down. Now, what I find, what I take exception to about that line is that that line, it was I mean, not that funny when Jeff Green did it in his stand-up in the 1980s. Uh, it has subsequently been stolen by Robbie Williams on The Graham Norton Show, a fact that was brought up by many people. What is Robin William, Robbie Williams doing? Stealing, and I should clarify, that's Robbie Williams. The, the somewhat of a musician geezer. The, the, the fat dancer out to take that. Exactly. The fat dancer out take that. He stole a joke from Jeff Green's act. And this line has actually been actually picked apart by proper brilliant comedians like Lucy Porter and Richard Herring since because it's, you know, is it offensive, is it not, etc. Um, so for Emma Thompson to then blatantly steal that line, uh, it's a very well-known line if you have any knowledge about stand-up comedy whatsoever. Uh, for, that, for Emma Thompson is still that line, put it in a film, and then for Empire to give that film, which uh, is, and I, I am a sucker for rom-coms, but that film is fucking awful. To then comment on this, on that being the cleverest line and give it four stars, and then a month later to, to kind of slag off our film, made me feel a lot better about it. It's just disappointing, really, that Empire has uh, become what it has. In fact, I might liken what Empire... Watching the way Empire magazine has become is a bit like watching your (laughs) favourite pub burn down. Ouch. (laughs) Do do you know what? I I have seen you tweet that you you get Empire and Total Film. I I don't buy any of these magazines, and do you know why? Because it's all fucking shit, and it just makes me really, really angry, especially Sight and Sound. That makes me a special kind of angry. Yeah, Science Sound's an odd one. And again, I mean, I do read all of them. Science Sound's odd. It's odd how it gives the full plot of every film from beginning <laughs> to end. Like, like who, 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 is, who wants that? Who wants literally the twist? But, you know, Science Sound has their purpose if you're a, a film scholar. Uh, Total Film, I, I tell you what, is excellent for highlighting. Uh, under, there's a brilliant British movie, very low-budget British movie called Hard Tide, right? It is very, very good. Um and they gave it four stars, which made me hunt it out. And I think The Guardian were nice about this film as well. It got one star in Empire everywhere else. And um, it made me hunt out this film. And I've watched it half a dozen times since. Absolutely love it. And now we'll follow anything that writer-director does. So, I mean, Total, Total Film has on their cover, you know, the world's most reliable film reviews. Nobody's perfect, but I would say Total Film uh, are the most trustworthy. It's written by film critics, uh, written by film fans uh, for film fans. Um, and I don't get the feeling that they, you know, they're, they're happy for Empire to, you know, take all the, you know, um, high paying advertising and exclusives uh, in exchange for good reviews. They're happy to kind of, I think, just be decent, which is why Total Film, you know, continues to grow and be successful. But it's nice to hear you don't read any of them. And you're the biggest, most intelligent film fan I know. I do watch think, a lot of films. Yeah, you do. And I mean, you clearly don't need to read reviews because you, you watch everything. Yeah, I try and watch everything and then I can make up my own mind. Mm, I, I think I'm, I'm interested in reviews and I do read them. It never put, it never puts me off. I mean, if anything, uh, a bad review will make me watch a film. I mean, a, a perfect example is I've talked about this a billion times on this podcast. It's probably the running <laughs> thing, but it's the film Momentum. Which, yeah, you know, know. The Empire gave a brilliantly, I mean, this was a, a, this was a review written by someone that is an actual film critic. And, and it was so brilliantly bad that I had to hunt down this film. Um, 
But anyway, when we we'll move on for this. But as I say, it, it's an interesting dichotomy between what's a good what what's a good bad movie and what's a bad bad movie. Because sometimes, as we're going to discover when we talk about our, our, our favorite movies of the year, you know, sometimes movies get get panned and rightly so. Other times they get panned and you go, did you not understand this at all? Um, and uh, but it's, it's all about awareness. And the thing with comedians' guide and get and and certain broadsheet slanging it was. Uh, it was about awareness. We wanted people to know it was coming out. We knew that the Times was not going to be a fan of a movie about a comedian pissing himself on stage or someone snapping a dildo off in their ass. Like that was never the, the, you know, the Rupert Murdoch's, um, you know, Nazi pamphlet was not our target audience. But it's awareness. Someone picks up the Times, they flick through it. Oh, Buckley's got a movie out. I'll go and see it. Well, I was going to say critics. I mean. On the on the foul critics, I, I did a quiz when we reviewed um, the Blair Witch, right? And I took um, well, I presented to them reviews that were were either from Killer Bitch or right. the Blair Witch, and the guests on the show had to guess which film these these <laughs> critics had reviewed. Right. And over half of them, they went for uh, for um, Killer Bitch, right. but the reality was they were all terrible reviews for the Blair Witch. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> You'll have to give it. Yeah, it's in the best, uh, the year end best of on fail critics that quiz called, uh, and it was hilarious because I get to, got to call the quiz bitch or witch. <laughs> Genius. I mean, like, the, I mean that is a, that, that that is a brilliant concept because it does sum up uh, the, the odd disparity between um, you know what you read. I mean, and there are some films which are universally praised, which I often don't like. I mean, Spotlight being a perfect example, Everybody, every critic loves it, and yet I can't meet a single normal human being that likes it. Well, there's only one good film about hunting paedophiles. Y- yes, what's that? I can't. Oh, well, yes, both of our number one. Yes, both of our favourite films of this year. Mob-handed. one good film this year. Oh, God. Again, I think I, I study a lot. Is I do look at Rotten Tomatoes a lot. I'm often quite interested by um, the films that get the most praise and the films that get the least. And then, of course, you get films which, you know, get utterly diabolical reviews from one critic and then and then you know get praised by another so um uh anyway we're, we're gonna we'll, i'm sure we'll keep revisiting this point as we uh, as we uh, talk about our favorite films there's only one bit of news this week uh, our, our brothers and sisters over at the foul critics they had their awards they tallied up all the votes and you haven't seen these yet, have you? No, I haven't. I've deliberately saved it for now. So would you like me to run through the top ten? We'll see which ones we've seen and uh, and I'll get a little comment from you. Love, love to. Right. At ten mm-hmm. is Mob Handed. Perfect. We win. No, I know one of the. Uh, I know. I know. Well, at least one member of the Fail Critics crew did threaten to resign if this, if that happened. Uh I can say, I mean, I'll talk about it in more in detail later. More pandered. We've talked about it on this podcast before. People must check it out. It's a British low budget <laughs> movie about hunting paedophiles. It stars Chris Ellison very briefly. Um, and he is, yes, he is the biggest star in it. There's other members of the bell. Um, this film is majestic. I mean, there's, there's, there's bad and there's, this is, um, <laughs> it, it's hard to quantify what is bad because I mean, 
is people often say that the mark of a good movie is a movie that you want to watch once, twice, three, you know, three, four, five. You want to watch it. I've watched it about a dozen times. So there's one point. Uh, another thing people always say is, you know, it's the movie you can't get out of your head. It will chill you. It will haunt you for days. Well, I mean, I saw The Witch, the film, just just The Witch, and um, and and I thought about it for a day or two. More pandit, I probably think about every day. So so if. If what quantify and I mean the theme song I sing all the time, shake it. So, you know, what, what what quantifies a great film? Well, uh, more panda would tick all the boxes. However, I'm almost certain it isn't a good film. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> but the problem is they were kind of victims of their own because they talked about it so much. Then yeah. so many listeners became aware of it that then they, yeah. they in turn watched it. Yeah. I mean, and then ended up voting for it. Ironically, I, I have to say, in the most part, but you know, democracy <laughs> and all that. If Trump can uh, get into power, yeah, if Trump can, make can get the top voted 10. in ironically, then so can, if people can vote for Brexit ironically, then mob ended can be. But who knows? I mean, are they? You know, not everyone is being ironic. Like, like I say, I mean, I I do enjoy that film more more than most so therefore it is one of the best films of the year good on you fell this is the proof this is the i did say to people when i was telling them to vote in not for that when i was telling people to vote um in the fail critics awards i said it's the only award that matters and so far this has been proven correct yeah well they they the votes were all weighted where where you had it in your top 10 so that 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 got 46 points more pounded on 47 points at number nine was rogue one the <laughs> star wars story well, I mean, I'm, I haven't seen that yet. There's going to be some people listening to this going, why am I listening to a podcast? <laughs> by a geezer the single man in 20 times <laughs> has gone around to seeing Rogue One. <laughs> That's how we roll, James. <laughs> yeah, but I've heard it's very good. Yeah. Um, in at eight, there was room. I quite like that. Yeah, that haven't seen indie. that. That's but it, the trapped, trapped in the blah blah blah. Yep. Um, seven. You won't have seen this. I shouldn't think. Hell or high water. Yes, I've seen. I've seen about twenty minutes of it. That's going to be a running theme tonight, I suspect. Y- yeah, and yeah. For me as well. I've seen twenty minutes of that. And... Hell or high water is one of the most. Well, again, on the Rotten Tomatoes aggregator, I think it's the second or third best reviewed film of this year. Um. I'm used to seeing films like that because I watch a lot of straight-to-video uh, trash with, you know, Dolph Lundgren and Nicolas Cage in it. So I've seen that film about a thousand times. I just haven't seen it with, you know, stupid Hans Zimmer-esque themes over panning shots of this, that and the other. Boring. It, well, it was all right, but, yeah, it, it wasn't great. I mean, it was, certainly wasn't nowhere near my top ten. Um, at six, Captain America Civil War. Oh, Interesting. <laughs> In what way? They're all the bloody same. Well, that's the thing. I'm, and, and I will again. We'll probably get revisited later. I, as I understand it, How to Make a Civil War is the best superhero movie, which means it is on my Netflix to watch list. So it is doing better than most superhero movies. Um, just actually as research for this, but also just research for life. I did I finally watch Batman versus Superman uh, two or three days ago. And um, I don't quite see what the problem is in that I don't really like superhero movies because, as you rightly just put it, they are all the same. Um, but I'm watching Batman vs Superman going, yeah, yeah, it's the same as all the others. Like, why, why do you all think this is so much worse 
when it's just as dull and, and, and you know, uh, quasi-religious imagery and philosophical bullshit as, as the rest of them. That said, Captain America Civil War, I hear, is very good. But then I, t- I hear they're all very fucking... Like, it's like, oh, I heard Superman, Spider-Man 2 was a masterpiece. I went to see a screening of Spider-Man 2. It was the first screening uh, in England... I went in, I ran out of red stripes about 40 minutes in. I actually went and sat outside in Leicester Square and finished the craze autobiography that I was reading for the 50th time rather than watch the end of Spider-Man 2. Um, I, I turned off, I, what was, Iron Man's supposed to be very good. Anyway, some people are going to be turning off this podcast now. But I, I hear Captain America Civil War is very good. I will give it a go. Well, at five, I know we've both seen this and I think we both liked it. It was Green Room. We did like it. Very good indeed. And brilliant performances. And very unpredictable, and and doesn't do uh, almost at no point does it do what you what you expect no. it to do. It's kind of got, got that Breaking Bad vibe to it, and even the ending, it it doesn't do anything particularly that you would expect. It's very claustrophobic as well. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, what's just brilliant about it is also the fact that they are a punk band themselves. Like it, they, it could have been quite easily sanitized and made, you know. You can imagine at various stages, studios saying, oh, well, why don't we make them, you know, girl, girl guides and they're, you know, they stop off at you know, all these things. But it, it's just brilliant. Yeah, really, really good film. Um, at four, we've got The Nice Guys. Yes. I watched that on a plane. I didn't think it was going to, I didn't think I was going to like it. That must have been edited if it was on a plane. No, I think, well, no, well, I don't think it was, but I didn't think I was going to like it and I did really like it and you know when you read about like oh you know so and so has charm together on screen it's like well yeah you bloody hope so but they actually do like yeah. and I I also really like the fact that they're, yeah they're unapologetic alcoholics which is quite refreshing to see that final scene actually was brilliant I, I I'm agreeing with this list very okay very well the top three can you guess any of the top three um would it include like Netflix docu films no. No. no 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 this is this is fairly commercial popular can i guess any of them the witch no way more popular than that so at three you've got the other pedophile movie spotlight oh no (laughs) oh yes keep your powder dry james keep your powder dry do you want to guess the one and two come on you must be able to guess the one and two here spotlight just for the record is the worst uh, the worst (laughs) tv movie i've the most boring (laughs) bollocks I mean, I thought the only people that liked it were, were critics because it makes it look like their job actually means something. Who the fuck voted for Spotlight? As in, who would normal people that have to go and work for a living voted for those fuck it anyway? Sorry, a um, lot of people voted for it. That's unbelievable. Um, yep. Brainwashed, brainwashed. Well, at two, I know yeah. you've watched half of this, I believe, Deadpool. Oh, I finished it. Ah. Oh. Yes, that, that is quite good. <laughs> Well, the thing thing is, I mean, the one thing I have to say is that Ryan Reynolds is a genius. Like, and I say that because he is in my, my, one of my favorite funniest, well, one of my top five funniest films of all time, which is The Change Up with Jason Bateman. Uh, You might not have heard of it because it got one star in every single publication. Um, It's absolutely amazing. Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds kind of plays the same character, actually. So I prefer the change-up because he gets to be that character and then he gets to do it inside Jason Bateman's body as well. Well, that's obviously Jason Bateman acting. I'm getting too swept up in the plot there. I, know. <laughs> I have seen it, but it was, it was a while ago. I don't really remember much about it. 
but I mean, but the but Deadpool is very funny, and also it's kind of an awesome story that that they make this kind of filthy R-rated superhero movie, and it ends up being the highest-grossing superhero movie of all. Yeah, because didn't they shuffle it out in sort of February, March time when they thought nobody would bother to go and see it? Yeah, I think they they had no hopes for it at all, and it ended up being just massive. The good thing from that though is that hopefully the knock-on effect is that some of these superhero movies they will kind of up up the kind of less child-friendly aspect of them. I agree, but then wasn't but that, the geezer that's making all the spider Superman films now, Zach Thingy. What didn't he write Watchmen? And even though yeah. Watchmen was divisive, I seem to remember thinking it was bloody awesome when I yeah, saw I it. Yeah, I loved it. Zach yeah. Snyder and, and that, yeah, and that didn't that didn't kind of continue. That didn't carry on in his work. People just get they just still sanitise shit for some reason. But Deadpool was good. I think what was just what was disappointing was the fact that Deadpool then did by the end resort to what I imagine an Avengers or Captain America movie is like at the end if I ever saw one. Okay. The <laughs> number one film on the Foul Critics Awards was yeah. Arrival. And I haven't seen it. Oh. No, I haven't seen it. <laughs> so I can't comment. <laughs> I tell you what, what I love about this show is we're almost just, we're kind of like Deadpool. We're almost like pushing people to stop listening. Like, <laughs> listening to a show where the, the, where what is the number one most critically acclaimed film, second most critically acclaimed film uh, in Rotten Tomatoes, Empire's second top film of the year, the number one failed critics film of the year, and neither of us have seen it. Um, yeah, but I mean, again, I'm sure it's very good if you like that kind of thing. That kind of thing. But you know what? No. No. I mean, I, I mean, you put me off ever seeing like The Martian or Passengers or Arrival. Was that, what was that, what was that? Was it Gravity where Sandra Bullock oh. was flying around, and th- then the end was like the beginning of 2001 or Planet of the Apes or something? I can't remember. But, I mean, I'm sure it's very good. Well done, or everyone involved. It won't be mentioned again during this podcast. No. <laughs> um, well, the uh, the best actor went to Ryan Reynolds for Deadpool. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yep. Um, the only one, other one in there you'd have noted was Patrick Stewart, who was runner-up. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, best actress went to Amy Adams for Arrival. <sighs> there you go. I knew that was coming. Um uh, somebody from Ghostbusters, uh, I, a film I've never even heard of, A Bigger Splash, Tilda Swinton. I, Who was it in Ghostbusters? Kate McKinnon. Oh, yes. Oh, she's, I mean, amazing. I haven't seen Ghostbusters. I've not seen it either, no. But I just saw Office Christmas Party, which, again, is supposed to be terrible, but she is amazing in it. And, I mean, when I say it's supposed to be terrible, the critics say it's not funny, but it is. I've, I've, got, the to- I've got the top five British films here. Okay. There is a notable absence. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't be offended. Okay, well, the comedian's guy didn't quite make it. Um, <laughs> he did get votes, but mm-hmm. High Rise uh, was uh, was top of the pops. Wonderful to hear. It is, I think it's on Netflix now, actually. Or it's on Amazon Prime, maybe. I haven't seen it. I, I, I think it looks amazing. And I love Ben Wheatley. I mean, Kill This is one of my all-time favourite films. Yeah. I mean, talking about divisive stuff, like, I mean, I weirdly was on, I mean, on Amazon recently reading reviews of different things. And High Rises just has, like, hundreds of dis- people, one star, this is awful, awful, awful. And you just think, this is a weird world we live in. 
where you know and again i mean it's a similar situation with comedians guy where you just get you get a message you get a tweet from one a total stranger saying oh my god i've never laughed so hard and then you get a tweet from someone else saying i laughed so little i wish you were dead and and and, and 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 it's just a weird i mean i'm just you know it, it's just one of those weird things that um things are so divisive and again here we go high rise clearly a work of art yeah it was good your um your good buddy was in uh, uh the film at number two is i daniel blake oh nice nice i mean again i haven't seen it because you can't actually get it here yet and i refuse to watch a film like that illegally but um looks and sounds amazing and it couldn't be a better success story cool the last few um the foreign film way clear of everything else was the train to busan which is the korean zombie thriller Right, I've heard which, very yeah, I doubt that's even been released in Canada yet. Documentaries, it was a one-two for Tickled and Wiener. Wiener came top and Tickled came second. Wow, wow. Well, I, I know one of those is going to be mentioned again. Yeah, and soundtracks was, number one was The Neon Demon, yeah. and number two was High Rise. Amazing. I do have their worst. Oh, perfect, let's do it. <laughs> Less comedian's guide is on there. It's not on there. <laughs> Three was Money Monster, which I haven't seen. Yes, thank you. <laughs> that is dire. I mean, I mean, it is staggeringly. I mean, I mean, it's not. I mean, diabolical is not the word. Like, it's just ham-fisted is the word. Like, it's so wrong. It's so like, and of, and of course that. I mean, the geezer playing the the you know the psycho in it is an amazing actor. What's his name? Jack. Oh, Jack O'Connell, that British actor is doing very well. Amazing actor. I mean, again, I read again. This is the thing. I read an Empire review of Money Monster. It may have been three stars. It may actually have been four stars. Staggeringly. I mean, this sums up the problem, right? And I thought. You cannot go wrong. And again, this was before I realized what had happened to Empire with the management and how it was all, you know, <clears throat> you know no longer journalists working there. And, um, and I thought, I can't go wrong. And I find it hard picking movies for me and my wife. My wife likes very commercial stuff. Um, and I'm like, George Clooney, Julia Roberts, you know, Jago Cole, you know, a four-star of you in Empire. The, 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 I can't go wrong. It is truly like a zero star something went horribly wrong the the acting everything's like a one take it, it honestly it's it's like it makes woody allen's cassandra's dream look like goodfellas i Mate, mean you've it, sold it to me i am so all over that now yeah 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 do it i mean again again this is how this is how we get something <laughs> but to be honest i've maybe oversold it maybe i make it sound interesting interesting in its awfulness i mean it kind of is it's kind of like um an extended, you know, um, uh, TV shopping commercial. I don't know. I, I, today, I mean, rather than watch what is one of the best documentaries of the year, Tickles, today, I, I couldn't didn't have time because I was too busy finishing uh, John Travolta's I Am Wrath. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, John, I Am Wrath, which, again, was covered at length by the broadsheets in England due to the fact that the artwork was terrible. That, that's how much they've got to write about. They wonder why... Britain's implied that the Guardian must have run like four articles on the fact that John Travolta looked a bit silly in the artwork for I Am Ra. <laughs> they, they then proceeded to do them. The Guardian frequently are begging for money, like Wikipedia. You know, oh, I've seen that. On there, you go onto the yeah. Guardian, it says, for the price of a coffee a day, you can support yeah, yeah. a journalist. Well, as long as I get like a picture of them. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, 
Yeah, I, I would love to help support you, The Guardian, since what you tend to like to do, since you've got so much budget, you tend to commission three journalists to review the same film. <laughs> so you look it up. I mean, literally, I mean, again, fair enough. I mean, I, good for us. Comedian's Guide was, you know, I, I was happy. It was reviewed basically three times by three separate journalists on The Guardian. Great. But you, you really like that. That is a lot of budget. You've got to be paying people twenty cents or thirty or p or whatever it is in that you know godforsaken country a word to review films. A movie like I Am Wrath comes out, and you'll have Commode give it one star, Peter Bradshaw give it one star, some other slice no one's heard of give it one star, and you go, wouldn't one have done? Wouldn't one review have done? I mean, I mean, sometimes it makes sense when you've got like a film like The Green Inferno, which I love. Um, Commode gives it one star and says it's deplorable. Peter Bradshaw gives it three stars and says it's deplorable, but you've got to love it for being so deplorable. Um, Owen put that in his top ten, you know. It, it, it Was that out this year? Yeah. Oh, I would put it in my top ten. I, I mean, it, 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 as, as Peter Bradshaw says, Eli Ross just um, balls out attempts just to stick a finger up to everyone in every possible way. is utterly to be admired. It's, 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 it's trauma-esque. Hmm. Um, but it's also it also did make me sh- I was quite scared watching it as I was when I first watched Hostel I actually I do think Eli Roth is an extremely talented filmmaker especially he's paying homage to all these video nasties that I loved oh yeah I'll watch anything he does and I, I pretty much enjoy everything he does mm, um, anyway I've kind of gone off the point yeah, there I should but, point out for all these awards Owen's very strict on the voting it has yeah. to have been available in the UK in 2016, so half the stuff right. I voted for he threw in the bin. Right. Um, but anyway, right. on this worst list at two, <laughs> Batman versus Superman. Right. Again, I think I made my feelings clear on that. Yep. I don't personally think it was any better or worse than most of our movies. I mean, there was one sequence which, please, people, have a look at this. I put this on Twitter and Instagram the other day. There was a sequence where Batman jumps out of the back of a truck. And and fights a lot of people now. In all of the excitement, I'm sure you, that you, some you know, people have. I'm sure you didn't notice this, but it is the worst choreography of any movie <laughs> ever. Like literally, he go Ben Affleck jumps out and he's basically punching everyone, but they've all got guns. Now they're all holding guns at him, but they're waiting for him to kick them in the face. So, 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 so they jump out in front of him and basically they've got a line, they've got a chance to shoot him, but they just stand there waiting for him. It's like the first rehearsal of the, of the, of the action sequence before the green screen was added was left in the film. Um, so, you know, again, but I, I don't dislike a film for making a mistake like that. Um, but like I say, I watched the film. I, I, I didn't get that bored and I didn't hate it. Well, anyway. can you guess what's at number one? And I'll give you a clue. It's continuing the trend of, terrible terrible uk sitcoms being turned into movies oh not is it ab fab or it is ab fab ab fab the movie interesting brooker went absolutely fucking apoplectic with rage in his review of this it was so funny the guy in fact there's a written review online i will um i'll send you the link but if anyone's listening just google foul critics absolutely fabulous the movie You'll find it, and um, yeah, it's it's just he was not no, happy. That, that's beautiful to hear because it was an odd thing. You know, a comedian's guy came around about the same time, 
we were trying to do something different uh, with a storyline that hadn't been done before, all the rest of it. And then when movies like Bridget Jones' Baby and Absolutely Fabulous come out that are also British movies with with ten times the budget, with with many many more minds behind them. And in my eyes, they are significantly worse than the film that we made. And then I see those films get, you know, two, three, four stars because of uh, nostalgia or basically because, you know, let's be honest, uh, the critics want to be carry favor with those directors and those stars. You know, that, that's what it comes down to. So to see Ab Fab get nice reviews uh, was an odd thing to happen. Well, not at Foul Critics, it didn't. Well, thank Fuck for Brooker, that's just, what I yeah. say. Um, and just a quick thank you there to Owen for supplying uh, all of the very comprehensive data in that spreadsheet for the for Critics Awards. We're going to take a short break. We're going to be back with our biggest disappointments, our biggest surprises, count down our worst three of the year, and count down our top five of the year. Welcome back to Underground Nights, where we're going to take a look at our best, our worst, our biggest disappointment, our biggest surprise, you know, what floated our boats in Movie World in 2016. But we're going to start with what was our biggest disappointment? Um, James, what really disappointed you in 2016? Well, I'm going to go a different way around saying it, I have to say, in that it's not that it's a disappointment uh, before the fact. Because, as you know, I never have that high hopes for things. <laughs> uh, uh, but I would say the biggest disappointment was Zootopia. Brilliant. Which uh, I discovered today is the most positively reviewed film of the year. On the Rotten Tomatoes aggregator, it's number one with like 99%. You know, so Arrivals at two and, you know, Hell or High Waters at four. Zootopia's number one. Now, I go and watch all of these kids' animated movies with with my kids because i need to entertain them somehow i took my son to see sing the other week which i heard was average i thought it was excellent wonderful you know uh, film about you know the way what it takes to uh, to make it in in any form of show business i thought that the secret life of pets was very funny louis c coesberg and that zootopia i went and i thought oh my god this is lame it's kind of about race. It's like, oh, well, will the rabbit ever be accepted? It was so sledgehammered. I thought, oh, my God, critics are going to hate this. This is lame as hell. And it got the best reviews. And meanwhile, I didn't see another film called Norm of the North, which has been slammed as being, and again, it's kind of sledgehammer politics. It's about, oh, you know, global warming, blah, blah, blah. You know, we shouldn't pollute the waters. But Norm of the North, my kids loved. I enjoyed it. I stayed awake for it. And that's like one of the worst reviewed films here with like 2% as opposed to there is 99%. So um, I guess this proves that I am completely out of touch, out of sync with what people think. Um, Zootopia, just to be clear, I didn't hate it. I just thought, oh, of all the kids' movies I have to go and watch, this is not a good one. And yet it's got a higher review aggregator on on, um, Ron Tomatoes than Goodfellas. Meanwhile, Norm of the North, I thought, oh, this is a fun, you know, mildly diverting Saturday morning flick. And it's one of the worst reviewed films ever. You know, again, got worse reviews than Mob Ended. Well, let me just, if, while we're talking about animation, I have to mm-hmm. mention, um, Owen tweeted this today, actually. Um, one of the foul critics, a guy called Callum, always reviews animation. Right. And he did a written review on the website for a film called Two by Two. Oh, right. Which I've, 
not heard of, but no. it's had 13,500 views and all the comments are from angry mums. No way. <laughs> I'm telling you, go on, the, no. go on to Twitter, look at the Foul Critics feed, follow that. the link. It's absolutely amazing because he's, Callum, to be fair, he reviews them as a critic. He does, he's not reviewing them as a child. Yeah, no, And these people have taken massive exception to this guy <laughs> reviewing this film. You're joking. <laughs> you know the kind of people who populate mum's net? Yeah, yes, exactly. We're, I mean, in other words, psychopath. Yes. You know, I mean, you know, most mums, I think, are either busy being real mum, but, but, but busy being great mums, or busy uh, having careers and jobs, or, or socialising, or, or if they're sensible, doing a bit of Chang like Daniela. Yeah. But, um, this one, listen to this. Sounds to me like critic Callum Petch leads a miserable life and finds enjoyment in the unnecessary bashing of children's films. My daughter <laughs> loved this movie. <laughs> <laughs> what a disappointing review I bought it for my six year old daughter and I really enjoyed it <laughs> what, what's this film called? it's called 2 by 2 I mean, it's one of the, I, I have no idea what it is I, I, mate my kids right? I'm so happy because now Leo's 16 yeah. and Ivy will be 13 very soon which right. means I don't have to watch this shit anymore no, I know. Yeah, and you've so, got all this to come. And and this is an important point. I mean, even as a kid, I mean, I mean, I'm a, I was a weird kid at eight years old. I didn't want to watch Transformers the movie. I was watching Father Goose with Cary Grant and Out of Africa with Meryl Streep. I mean, I was not a normal kid. I I was obsessed with movies. I wanted to see Repo Man when I was nine, and my dad did me a cut version. He used to record them off the TV and cut out the the you know, the violent bits so I could watch them. I thought Repo Man was 29 minutes until I was about 18. Um, <laughs> so, so my point is this. I didn't really like watching cartoons when I was a kid. So I'm not, again, the best person to judge them, but I watch a lot of them and some of them I enjoy. It's Sing being one. Anyway, um, I would just quickly just say this before, before we go to you. Um, I have two other uh, disappointments that are a joint disappointment. If, is that, is that yeah, allowed? Yeah, you go for your life. Um, Mate, we can uh, do what we like here. We do, that's true. Uh, everybody wants some, which again, critically praised and seemingly also liked by a lot of people I respect and, and like. But Dazed and Confused is without question one of my top ten favorite films. Loved it as a kid. Love. Recently watched it actually on a trip to on a, on my fl- flight over to uh, to see you and for the Comedians Guide premiere. I watched it on the plane again. Again, I had a choice of all those new movies, and instead I picked Dazed and Confused for the billionth time worship it it's about nothing and everyone said everybody wants some it's just like it the kids are charming it's about nothing they just party blah 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 blah. well i mean and here's the thing oh oh, and they're charming this is what the the guardian said they're charming they're not boorish and i watch it and all i could hear was a load of misogyny and uh no charm so anyway massively disappointed and again one of those moments when i go i I feel like I feel like the guy in one of those movies that's trying to te- convince everyone that the neighbor's a murderer and no one will listen and he knows the truth but he, and he wonders if he's going mad. That's how I feel sometimes as a film fan. Like everybody loves everybody wants some and as far as I can see it is fucking awful. Another disappointment uh, which really is a genuine disappointment was uh, Brothers Grimsby because uh, Mark Strong is obviously an amazing actor. The prospect of him in a comedy 
uh, about a football hooligan with Sasha Baron Cohen was just the greatest prospect imaginable. Then and Reverend Wilson as well, who I absolutely adore and think is brilliant. And and there was that amazing scene that was that, that a clip that was put out, which was. Uh, him going in and Reverend Wilson farting and, and her saying that wasn't a fart, it was a funny fart. And it, what, the clip, watch the clip. It, I, I watched it a hundred times, pissed my pants laughing, watched the whole film, uh, and it's unfortunately terrible. Well, I actually gave a, a really impassioned defence of Grimsby. That's what, it was just called Grimsby here, not the Brothers yeah, Grimsby. Sorry, yeah. Um, and because people were saying that, it, oh, he's, he's just making fun of poor people. and make it, But he wasn't. He no, was making fun of all those fucking Channel 4 misery porn documentaries exactly. where we talked about, you know, Britain's fattest rapist and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> they do. They do. They are on all the time. And it, oh, mate, you'll have to listen. There's uh, in the best of, I think, Owen has put that in there, the Foul Critics Best of the Year. And I have a proper, proper rant about, not that it was amazing, but the reasons that people gave that it was terrible were completely wrong. And and, and I, I 110% agree with you. My disappointment was just that that scene was hysterical. And then there's obviously famously that Jimmy Fallon uh, thing where they showed them the, the, the elephant's vagina scene and they were all looking horrified. I mean, I mean, that scene is somewhat genius. Like, to get a reaction like that, any film that can get a reaction out of an audience like that is amazing. I was just disappointed. To be honest, I was actually disappointed about the fact that his... His role as a football hooligan was kind of underplayed. It yeah. wasn't, you know, when, when, we, when I was told it, he plays a football hooligan, I thought there was going to be a lot of hooliganism jokes in there. Um, and, and unfortunately, it, it didn't. But then I guess I've got the, the hooligan factory for that. Do you like Freddie Got Fingered? You know what? Despite the fact that he's um, a Canadian comedian, and I should, I don't know if I've seen it. I think I may have seen it when it came out. But um, do you like it? I do, but. Yeah. You, you may have seen it when you were having a jolly good time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. To follow where you go with it, I probably would. I probably would like it. We'll put that on your homework list for the next recording, James, to watch Freddie Goff fingered. Again, you don't hear that on many podcasts. Um, so, uh, what was your disappointment? Well, it was the, it was the Blair Witch. Right. I really, right. I I really like the original. Mm. Um, I remember when it came out. I was um, I was working in in the city, and we used to go over to Soho to right. this Chinese hardware shop that sold DVDs. Yes, I used to go there. <laughs> yeah, in the back, you go yeah, to the back. Yeah. And they weren't that subtle about it. Were no. They? <laughs> oh, I, I don't want to do the accent because we'll get done for racism. But he'd say, you know, oh, um, you, you've you've come in for a kitchen scrubber. Would you like some DVDs? <laughs> <laughs> And I remember because I, a DVD player cost a lot of money back then. Yeah. And I had this bloody thing that I had to like screw into my computer um, from Creative Labs. And it had like these speakers on these plastic stands. And even this slot probably cost like three or four hundred quid. But fuck it, I had a DVD player in my house. Right, right. And this, <laughs> this guy sold me a copy of The Blair Witch Project. At the time, I didn't know what a cam was. <laughs> Right. Oh, what, you can't watch a cam of the Blair Witch. <laughs> I mean, that, is, that is too meta. That is way too meta. A cam of the Blair Witch. But, do you know what? I got the idea. 
with the lights off. And I, and I, I've seen it. I've seen it since on a proper copy. It's not my only viewing. <laughs> I know, well, yeah, I would hope so since you said it's one of your first funny. That is like having a wank over yourself having a wank. I mean, that is like too meta. And do you know what? I, I, when I heard that Adam Wingard had taken control of this, I was like, oh, do you know what? I think that could be pretty good because your next was, was pretty good. It was, yes, you know, an 18 rated horror, and I really liked the guest. Yes, me too. I love the style. Guess. I like the soundtrack. I bought, I bought the bloody score, and then separately bought all the music from it. Um, and he, he did all the stuff he did on those anthologies: VHS, ABCs of Death, VHS Two. Loved all of that stuff. Really, really. That's so interesting. I didn't realize he did VHS Two because um, one of the anthology films that's in VHS Two, I believe, is I just discovered this all today, which is what I was tweeting you about. These amazing. Uh, uh, Atlantic Canadian filmmakers, who maritime filmmakers, one of which is from the same city as me, that made that movie uh, that I sent you uh, the link for. The one, um, what was it called? The tree, the tree something. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. He works with the director, or he produced Hobo with the Shotgun. And the director is, um, anyway, they, one of the movies was the VHS 2 trilogy. It's funny how things come full circle. Well, you've not seen... Treevenge, Treevenge. Treevenge, that's it. Yeah, um, yeah. You've not seen the new Blair Witch, so have you? No, I haven't. But it's interesting to hear that you were disappointed because I, when I heard, when I heard about it, I assumed it was going to be terrible. Then I heard it was absolutely balls-out terrifying from a few horror websites that I do really respect. Um, so it will clearly be a disappointment for me if I don't like it because I, had, I thought it was going to be shit and I heard it was going to be amazing. Now I think it's going to be shit again. So it's it, a lot of it's down to expectation, obviously. Yeah, well, uh, well, as we touched upon earlier, mm. I managed to convince two fans of the film mm. that reviews for Killer Bitch were in fact right. were actually from the Blair Witch. It is terrible, but, but, terrible. But, but, but this is interesting to hear because I thought it got quite good reviews. Not, I, I, do you know? See, this is the thing because I don't get involved with the reading these no. magazines and stuff. I'm, I don't have any preconceptions about what other people are thinking. I just go in, watch it. That- the, the thing that really, really lets it down is it's really loud. Right. Where the sound design, if, if a guy sort of touches against a wall or opens a door, you get this huge boom noise. Right, which is and just lazy. It, oh, it's so lazy. Things that aren't scary. Torches. Right. They're not. You can you can wave a torch around all you like in the dark. That ain't scary. <laughs> yeah. And the thing that the bit that kind of killed it for me, they're they're going around the woods, they're walking around, they're walking around, they're walking around, they're round and round, they're still walking, they're still walking. Oh no! We're back where we started. Well I mean I'm thinking, really? That that's your thing in twenty sixteen? You've gotta be shitting me. How lazy is that? That's interesting because the website bloodydisgusting.com, which is one of my favorite horror sites, they're the ones that that were basically saying it was a game changer, one of the most nerve-jangling films ever. Even Commode gave it three stars. Like, it's fascinating. I mean, this is exactly what we're talking about, this perception, right? Mm. Well, I watched it. I went to Cineworld, and I watched it in a room full of mouth breeders, you know, eating nachos. Yeah. Who, historically... Will try and scream to outscare each other. These, yeah, it's not yeah. a horror audience. This is a general audience. 
you could have heard a pin drop from the start to the finish. Right. Not right. a breath, not a shriek, nothing. It was such a disappointment. Crushing that's, disappointment, that's, to be fair. Yeah, that's terrible. Should we, should we do some positivity, James? Yes, let's do it. Let's love it. Do you want me to talk about my biggest surprise of the year? Yes. And that wasn't meeting you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, me and Catherine, we were out in Munich and we saw that they, the film festival was on. Right. And um, unlike London or Toronto, turns out on the day... You can open up the app on your phone and book a ticket to whatever you want to go and see right. for seven quid. Right. And the cinema has a beer garden. And the director's going to do a Q&A after. This is after. the dream. I could not believe it. So I just thought, you know what? Let's go and see this because we know it's going to be in English with the director's doing a Q&A. And it was a film called Slash. Right. Uh, by a guy called Clay Lifford. Um, and it's touches upon and explores the world of fan fiction nice um erotic fan fiction and and the the slash fan fiction in particular um focuses on same sex erotic fan fiction right you've got this 15 year old school kid who dabbles in writing this stuff all the time he's kind of suppressing what are clearly sort of homoerotic urges and he's kind of classmates grab hold of his pile of notes and read all his stuff and you know immediately turn on him call him a bender and stuff he becomes ostracized and he meets a, a girl an older girl in the school mm-hmm. um and it turns out she writes this stuff as well and they kind of go on this kind of madcap adventure now it's really really easy to pick on these people Right, right. To, there's so much low-hanging fruit, James. Yeah. Have you ever? Do you know anything about this? Have you ever heard about this stuff? I, I have heard about the film. I mean, I know obviously a lot about fan fiction, mm. but um, but I did not. Uh, I didn't do know nothing about this film. But I'm definitely going to watch it now. So, I, I've got an example for you here, mm. um, and it's called Cookie Monster and Clay from the Sons of Anarchy. Oh. Um, subtitle is Cookies Like Crack. Clay's head resting against the soft, furry expanse of Cookie's chest and Cookie's hand on the man's shoulder. Baby Bear's blanket nestled between them. Are, are you excited yet? I, I, I'm loving it. I mean, I am, because, as you know, I'm a massive Sons of Anarchy fan and I've just finished all six of the full graphic novels mm-hmm. of Sons of Anarchy. I'm looking for more stuff. Cool. So this could be the thing for me. Clay want this? Yes, Cookie. I want this, he assures the monster, smiling and raising his ass up in the air. What's the point of the film? The, the, point, the, the, the film explores um, the, the world of fan fiction. They, they go to a conference. They have like a Comic-Con for, for, for fan fiction. Um, right. He competes in it. Michael Ian Black's in it as a slightly pervy judge. Because this guy's clearly underage. But I just, I found it absolutely fascinating, really funny, without them making fun of the people involved. Right, which is very important. what I've just done now, because it's, I I just can't resist. No, but but with content like that, you almost don't need to. Because, yeah, it's very easy for a documentary filmmaker to make fun of. No, this isn't a documentary, it's all, this is pure fiction. Oh, it's a, oh, I'm watching this. You are, you're, I think you're, it's way more gentle and way more understanding than than your 
probably imagining because as i said they don't go after them in any way shape or form mm. and i and i because i said to him in the q and a how much of a temptation was there because there's so much low-hanging fruit here yeah you know you're talking about gandalf on spock action yeah and it's interspersed with these kind of sci-fi clips of of what he's been writing in his imagination so you've got these two um imaginary sci-fi characters who are having a you know homoerotic fights and oiled up and grappling and it's 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 hysterical enough without them making fun of them interesting it has 94 percent on uh, rotten tomatoes which is extremely high it's i think this is going to struggle to find an audience because it's it's one that critics have seen mm-hmm. but i don't know anyone else who's ever seen it or heard of it well I, i'm definitely going to watch it now and so please everyone listening clearly this should be checked out yeah I absolutely mean, I mean, clearly everyone agrees with you. <laughs> what was your biggest surprise of the year, James? Um, I've talked about it at length before, so I won't go too much into it, but it was Dirty Grandpa. Um, Beautiful. Which, you know, again, just fits into this running theme that I will stop going on about soon, of a film that was, without question, one of the worst-reviewed films of the year. I mean, specifically, you know, again, Mark Commode, very entertaining, not so much a film critic anymore. You know, it's, it's entertainment, isn't it? Watching him slam something, you know, it's very telling when you look at the, the I, I love the Commode reviews. Mark Commode on Dirty Grandpa is almost as good as Mark Commode on Entourage and Sex in the City, all of which, you know, have millions, of, tens of millions of views on YouTube. Funny that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they film yeah they film him doing them in the studio, and they have you know tens of. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll presents the Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Any review of him doing a positive review on the new Star Wars movie or whatever has like a thousand. Like, you know, it's, it's entertainment, which is why he does what he does. But he... tears Dirty Grandpa apart like you wouldn't believe. Again, every single magazine, one star, one star, one star, one star. Um, I just thought it was on Netflix. I thought, let's give it a go. Uh, And again, my wife is a smart, intelligent woman, a brilliant mom, a brilliant businesswoman, all these things. I'd read that this film was the most offensive film to women imaginable. It was misogynistic. It was deplorable. blah. We sat and laughed like drains for an hour and a half. It is amazing, and unsurprisingly, you know, uh, given it's directed by Dan Mazer, who is an absolute genius British uh, uh, producer, director, uh, co-created all of Sasha Baron Cohen's characters with him when he worked at the 11 o'clock show. He also wrote and directed um, 
I give it a year, which was, in my opinion, it is one of the funniest British rom-coms of all time. Dirty Grandpa just, it starts at, at the max and it just gets more and more. Um, and again, obviously it's not for everyone. I mean, it's not for my mum. But I'm just surprised that it wasn't for any of those critics because every single person I speak to loves it. And again, tellingly, you know, worst reviewed film of the year, uh, made about, cost, cost about 10 million to make and it made like 150 million at the box office. People loved it. I loved it. I, I read the reviews and thought, clearly this film is diabolical. Uh, like The Change Up and all these other movies, it's not. It's absolutely hilarious. Unless yep. you are. And, you know, that, people just go, I'm not a prude, but, well, you are a fucking prude then if you've got a problem with an old man masturbating. And actually, you know what? It's not, it, the people's problem is, is yeah. because they, they don't want to see De Niro doing stuff that they consider beneath him. Right, right. It's but it's mis- not beneath him. He he turns up, he does a fantastic job, delivers all the time, whatever you ask of him. I know he's being paid, but he does deliver, and I thought it was fantastic. That's exactly it. You hit, no, It's weird you say that, because I read an interview with Dan Mazer last night when he was talking about, it was an interview with The Guardian, sorry, the, uh, Alice Jones at The Independent, and, 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 and you know, she, he was saying there, he was almost annoyingly sounding somewhat apologetic for doing the film, which frustrated me, because it is so good. Um... But I felt like he was saying, well, of course I agreed to do the film. They told me De Niro was on board. What am I going to do? You know, and he, make, he makes some funny comment about, I can stay in England and make a comedy with Angie and Den from EastEnders. And <laughs> 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 with Robert De Niro and, and Zac Efron, which, which, you know, makes perfect sense. But it's like, no, don't apologize. for it. And, and he said he read the script. He didn't write it. So he read the script and he said... Uh, and De Niro's agreed to do all this, and they're like, yeah. And he's like, right then, let's, you know, of course I'm going to do it. Which I don't think he needed to explain why he did the film, because he is actually perfect for this film, as someone that, you know, worked on Borat and everything else. But you're right. Who was it? I remember Ben Elton once saying that the reason he's so hated is, he says, uh, you know, because obviously the famously Ben Elton is a sellout. You know, he, he was Mr. Left Wing, he was hated Thatcher, and now he's a part of the establishment that sucks up to the royals, and he's a millionaire. And he, a defense he put out recently was, he said it's a complete misunderstanding of his earlier work. Uh, he said, I was 22, I had a sitcom on the BBC, I was hardly anti-fucking establishment, was I? Right? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know what, you've got quite a good point there. And similarly, like De Niro, it's like what De Niro does is turn up and give a job his all. It's not beneath him. He's an actor. He needs to work. But also all of this bullshit. Here's what I think. I actually think that his performance in Dirty Grandpa is better and more um, more multifaceted than his performance in Taxi Driver. Fuck you, critics. Perfect. I know people kind of get hung up especially in this day and age about worst lists and being negative let's just put this out there we ain't going after small jobbing independent films who've got no money who are struggling are desperate to get their product in front of people we're all about that's what this whole podcast is about our worst lists tend to focus on people who should know fucking better i agree but to be honest uh, just to be clear the reason we're not uh, we probably would target those job, poor jobbing filmmakers if they made bad films. But unfortunately, I don't think they, they don't make films as bad as London Has Fallen. So uh, so that's why they're not on the list. The, 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 the young jobbing filmmakers are on the list because we've seen their shit and either we either we, we, we liked it, either we loved it or we thought it was OK, but we didn't hate it. Whereas what we're about to talk about is what we hate. 
Yes. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go first here, James. My number three on this list, we've got Ben Affleck. Mm. We've got Anna Kendrick. Yeah. We've got J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. We've got Jeffrey Tambor right. and John Lithgow. Right. It's The Accountant. Right. Which, again, I haven't seen. It looks boring as fuck. It's not boring. It's really, really goofy. Right. But it doesn't realise it's being goofy. And here you've got a massive problem. It's mm. also dealing with... Um, it's. It, I think the, the best phrase I've heard it described as is an Asperger's action film. Right. I've heard that. That he, that he has... Is it Asperger's he's got or... Um, Somewhere on the spectrum. Yeah, he's on the spectrum, right. Which, um, you know, having... Having, having had some experience of that, I mean, the, the, the prospect of that I find, find quite offensive anyway. I mean, I mean obviously, as proven, I'm, I'm not offended by things as such. But I just thought, if you want to make a dumb, stupid action movie, for starters, I feel like you've made enough of them. I mean, this is the thing, right? I had never quite understood why these movie actors are churning out so many films. He, Affleck did not need to do this, did he? No, he did not need to do that. He, he, he's just made a, 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 what I believe is a gangster movie that he's directed, that is a period piece that clearly was doing a lot of work and prep work. He's just, he's supposed to be writing and directing uh, a Batman movie, just done a, a Batman versus Superman. Like, why do this? I was expecting Argo. Right, right. I, 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 this is not, it's not in that vein at right. all. Basically, here's my thing. If, if all these people made half as many films, there'd be twice as many good films. I just, I just, there's no reason for this to exist. Right. The cast should be ashamed of themselves for being involved in this. Yeah. It's so unbelievably goofy. Right. You've got an accountant, a small town accountant, who on the side uncooks the books for the mafia. Right. We've started this twice, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, I didn't actually finish it, so I have no idea what happens at the end. <laughs> but it turns out he's a gun wielding ninja. Oh my god. And he's autistic. And he's an accountant, and he works for the mafia, and he gives his money to charity, and he does sums. And when you do sums in a film now, they have to be done on the window in a pen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm calling a moratorium on that. No more. And also, if he's, if he's, um, <laughs> if they want to be, I mean, oh my God. <laughs> this is like that film with the staff, there's a spy, and he was a dustman. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is the problem with these movies is no thought goes into them. Like we had a few moments in, in, in Comedian's Guide, when we're, and again, this is a, a, a next-to-no-budget film, you know, with, with lots of people working very, very hard for next-to-no-money, where we would get, we would have a moment and we'd go, oh, you know what, this actually isn't going to make sense if this person does this. We need to change it. Like, we would fix stuff. And as a result, the one that you can't accuse that film of at any point is any moments that where something isn't logical or, 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 or whatever else in the fantastical world that the, the, the film is set in. And, and yet, frequently in these movies, I mean, there's actually a wonderful moment in John Travolta's I Am Wrath where um, his son-in-law gets shot and um, he's about, and then he says, right, I'll get you to the hospital. And then they've realised that, of course, we don't then see them in the hospital. So it cut, and obviously John Travolta finished the movie and said, you can't have me for any more ADR unless you pay me. So there's a wonderful moment where the where the, the he put puts the daughter in the car and says, you know, well, I'm going to get you to the hospital, and then it cuts to the back of his head, and it, and then suddenly this other voice goes, but first go to a hospital just so you don't get caught. <laughs> 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 
Beautiful. And a movie like The Accountant, everything you've just told me, like surely someone at some point could have gone, you know what, we're going to pose this film as art. Let's make some of it make sense. And also, I mean, I find mob stuff extremely frustrating when it's not done in a remotely realistic way. Yeah, this stuff needs to be... If you're going to do it, ground it in reality, especially with that cast... Mm. And then I would have been all in, but it's just so ridiculous. Mm. Uh, they would not have needed to. They would not even need to invent Rico if the mob <laughs> accountant was writing the sums on a fucking window. window. <laughs> <laughs> What's your uh, number three for your worst, James? Uh, it would probably have to be London Has Fallen. Oh. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's not much you can say about it other than it's just odd how bad it is. How. Uh, cheap looking how direct a video is you know what i watched recently was an uber film i don't think that's been that german worst yeah yeah exactly supposedly the worst director ever obviously he's not i mean obviously i wouldn't think he was um it was called assault on wall street uh it was a buck on blu-ray in a dollar store couldn't resist it very good film the choreography of the action i mean it's not a perfect film it's a great b movie the choreography of the action films, of the action scenes, and by action scenes, I mean Massacre, is brilliant. London Has Fallen is just terrible. From the first five minutes, I may be okay before there's any... But also the other thing is, and again, I mean, this does sound somewhat moral, and I don't want to go at all commode, but I do question... In a, you know, we are living in a time when the world is burning. I can't get much entertainment out of just watching a city I know and love just be massacred without a plot or any in investment. It just, there's no reason for it. And the CGI is also not very good. And I know, and I'm, I hate the kind of people that say things like that, but I personally, I don't mind watching, you know, uh, you know, vicious horror movies, but I do have a problem with these, with these ter- terrorism movies, unless there's something good about them. There's nothing, that's really the point. It wouldn't bother me if the film was good. It's just shit. That's my number three. Well, my number two is it's a joint number two um, for someone who I have no idea why they still keep letting him make films. And that's Ricky Gervais. Yes. Who did this year delivered special correspondence on Netflix and Life on the Road, the David Brent film. Now, I (laughs) haven't seen Life on the Road. I, I don't know if I could sit through it. I just find the I mean the whole Brent thing painful. Special correspondence, however, was truly awful, and it really I think it's the beginning of the end of the Netflix bubble of let's give creative control. Yeah, we've we've touched upon this before. Go on, I know what you're going to say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Netflix, both you know, like Gervais said in an interview, Netflix are great. They don't have they, there's no create there's no involvement from them. They don't tell you what to do, and it's like, well, that's great when you're dealing with David Fincher. Right, but it's not great when you're dealing with Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais needs to be steered because, you know, contrary to popular belief, 90% of his, of his you know, creative output has been absolutely terrible. Now, yes, 5% of it has been absolutely brilliant, but this is not a good hit rate. If you were a fireman and you only, you know, put out, you know, 5% of the, of the fires that you were sent to put out, you would not be very high up the list for employee of the month. No. Right, you know, clearly, he does need some fucking, you know, directing uh, and people to be involved. Um, 
Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of it. It's, it's tough. It's tough for me leaving England, the country where James Corden and Russell, Ricky, what's his name, Ricky Gervais, were, were, were detested by everyone with a brain, to have to move to North America, where for some reason they don't seem to be able to tell when British things are shit. Which has been great for me. It's partly why I moved it. It's partly I just why I knew. We built them. We built them up. Shit on them. Then ship them to the states. We don't build them up. We didn't build Ricky and Corden up. No, oh, one we did. did at the start because right? they they were doing. Well, we, kind we, of... we did when they did good things in Britain. We they did good things. Mm. No, no, the joke that I was just going to make was simply the fact that I thought it must be a career for me in North America, given the fact how much people here seem to like <laughs> shit things like Ricky, like Ricky Gervais and James Corden. Um, um, and it, it's staggering to watch people like to me when I watch Corden do that show now. It's the same as to me. It's still the same as when I when he did the Brits. Like I still just see like a fucking an idiot shouting, and and to any Brit watching it, that's what it looks like. But for some reason, Americans watching. I mean, the British accent does go a long way here. Um, anyway, I just want to quickly touch upon Gervais because for me, where it all went wrong was actually back in two thousand and nine with the invention of lying. Now, have you seen this? You must. Have. Yeah. Which oh, again? Oh my god, my I. Sure. He managed to get Jennifer Garner, I know. Jonah Hill, Louis C.K. and Rob Lowe in a film with fucking Barry from EastEnders. Now, that should have been quite funny, but it wasn't. I know, it was just fish-chewingly cringeworthy awful. I was a big fan of his at that point uh, and, and wanted to like that film and, of course, thought I was going to. Because, again, I was a fan of Louis C.K. then as well, but before everyone else knew about him. I'd seen him live at the comedy store in LA, at the, at the um, improv in LA. And and I honestly thought that I was going to love uh, Invention of Life. The weird thing about it, as well as it being not remotely funny and being an awful plot and everything else, was that it was really awfully made. You know, you know Gervais pri- prides himself on this, on this thing of like, you know, that he'll always finish filming at 3 p.m. It's the Woody Allen way of filmmaking. And it's like, yeah, we can see nothing's lit. The sound isn't great. Like... Like filmmaking's not supposed to be easy, and this is the weird thing. It's you know these people that pride themselves on you know everyone takes a three-hour lunch and everyone's done by two p.m. and and all this. It's like yeah, yeah, we can see. Yeah, no, I needless to say, I'm not a fan. And special correspondence, as you've already said, was absolutely fucking dreadful. I mean, just, just, I mean, like, like more so than almost anything else we're talking about today, it was like, how did this get made dreadful? Yeah. And, um, and life on the road was just the whole, I had this thing at the time when it, I, I saw it on the mm. opening night and I reviewed it on foul critics and I said, this is a vanity project because Ricky Gervais wants to have a record out. Okay. And everyone, right. they were all like, yeah, right. As if, as if anyone would go to such a convoluted effort, get funding from the BBC films and all this kind of stuff, just so they could have a vinyl record out. I'm like, I'm telling you, lo and behold, and vinyl record yeah. out. He's just finished a tour with the fake band from the film. I saw that. And he sold that Hammers with Apollo in like two minutes. And, uh, you know, that that's a 4,000 seater. Uh, you know, he's living out his yeah, dreams. So, but my assertion that this whole project was just so he could have a the, the record. You know, he was in a band, don't you? In the yes, 80s. yes, Tio Dancy, yeah. yeah, and he managed to. So, I mean, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I was his biggest fan. You know, when he started. I mean, I you know, eleven o'clock show. 
the office, the the early stand up, which again was hit and miss. But I, I I liked the persona until what I basically liked was I liked the persona until it became. This is the, the ridiculous thing: is that fair play to him, he wanted the record out, he did the film. My problem with him is the fact that uh, he would have objection to the fact that we hate it. He he has this huge problem with the fact that that you know when people point out that his stuff is shit. Oh. And uh, um, I mean, I won't. But I don't. I mean, I will tell the story. If I told it on this podcast before, I'm you know I made a joke about him in an article, and he didn't like the joke. Uh, so he had me. He basically had his assistant phone his PR and had his PR tell my editor not to let me on the shoot. Now my editor actually has a pair of balls and he's nothing like the um, editor in the Comedian's Guide. He's a wonderful man. And he actually said to me, I'll happily tell him to fuck off if you want me to. And I was like, no, you know what? You know, I want Ricky Gervais in the comedy issue. I was editing the comedy issue, wanted him in it. Um, had, a, had a similar, very similar bust up with James Corden actually, funnily enough. Uh, where James Gordon actually tried to have me fired because his picture wasn't big enough. We were doing a portfolio of great comedians. And, you know, we had Jackie Mason and Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock. And uh, Corden, understandably, his picture, for whatever reason, wasn't as big as everyone else. And I don't know. I had nothing to do with it. Ironically enough, it was one of Corden's mates that actually designed the story. Um, uh, it had nothing to do with me. But uh, but he, he took huge exception to the fact that his picture wasn't as big as Seinfeld's and Jackie Mason's. Um, so it's weird. How I, you know, th- th- these What's interesting about these people, and I say this is just a, a, as, a, as, a, as a normal guy, it's the fact that... They are as as hopelessly egotistical as you think they are. The way they behave on Twitter and the way they react to things. Corden actually verbally abused me in public once. You know, I mean, they are they are the people you think they are. Because I, when I came out of the screening of that opening night, I mm. tweeted how shit it was. Right. But then I remember I, Ricky Gervais. I actually got him blocked because I don't want him fucking in my timeline all the time. The obnoxious prick. And somebody replied to it. Saying, oh, that's a shame. I really like Ricky Gervais films. He then favorited that tweet, which meant that he'd found that, got someone right. else to search for whatever the original tweet was that he couldn't see, so he could right. read it. And I was like, oh my God, the guy's an egomaniac. That's, that's way too much trouble. Like, like I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the weird thing, right? But the thing about. In, in the British comedy circuit, it's frowned upon to retweet praise, right? Now, I say fuck that because I am, you know, I'm earning, you know, slightly more than minimum wage. I'm earning, you know, around the national average working as a comedian. If I get praise, I need, I need, to, I, I, I need to sell more tickets, right? My, my life is not, I'm not, the, I'm not a, anywhere near close to being a millionaire. So I, I, I need to sell tickets. If I get praise... I don't get reviewed by critics, you know, especially not in Canada. In England, I did a bit, but um, I need to retweet that praise to say to people, look, this person enjoyed the show, you might enjoy it. I would argue that, you know, Rio Ferdinand, when someone goes, you're a fucking legend, Rio, he doesn't need to retweet that. <laughs> and I also think that Ricky Gervais has the courage of his convictions enough that, that when someone says they like his dog shit new film, he doesn't need to retweet it. But for some reason, he does. And I think that says it all about him. And as you say, the fact that he even goes so far as to be searching for his name and searching for the word David Brent, you know, and yet he would deny this in interviews. And that's the thing is he's dishonest. You know, he creates a film that he knows to be shit, um, claims to be hugely proud of it, claims to hate doing press, but loves getting great press, uh, doesn't care what people think, but then really does care what people think so much that he'll retweet it if they say he likes his film. And anyone that doesn't like it is a moron, is, in, is thick, or is 
you know, it's it's it, it's just possession. You just think, you know what, mate? You're multi-millionaire. You have you have the option to make great art. You have made great art before. Mm-hmm. Just chill the fuck. Just out. to clarify, I loved his early stuff. Just just to me too. Love it. Me too. Absolutely loved it. And I say, even when he had never done stand-up before and took up stand-up and was almost immediately brilliant at it. And I loved his speeches. I love. You know, I actually had I had I've had a face-to-face encounter with him prior to the to the incident. Uh, uh, years before, and I mean, I, I absolutely worshipped him. And, and Steve Merchant, I became friendly with doing stand-up. I mean, somewhat friendly. He would probably disagree, but I, I liked him, and we he did gigs at my club. Um, and I mean, and to this day, I mean, I love all the Steve Merchant's cameos in, in Hollywood films. Often, the funniest things about them. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame that Gervais has become this. I just say, spend less time. Searching for your own name on Twitter, Ricky, and more time on the scripts. Come on, what's your stinker of the year then? So my my number one stinker of the year is a tie Ooh. between. Uh, you know what? I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tie it. I mean I mean Bridget Jones's baby. <laughs> no, you know what? I'm, no, you know what? I'm not Bridget Jones' baby. I mean again, great reviews in England. Truly awful. Uh, uh, it was supposed to be Jack Reacher, which again I'm. I'm a sucker for movies like that. It should be great. Uh, uh, it should just be similar entertainment. I watch every DTV action movie starring people that I've never heard of. Dominic Purcell. I've seen all Dominic Purcell's action movies. I watch them all. I buy them. Right. I am e- I am easy target for this stuff. Jack Reacher should have been great. It got four stars in Empire. I thought it's going to be great. It is truly at worst than most U-Ball films, but that doesn't make it as bad as Spotlight. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> just, my number one worst one is Spotlight. It is, I wait a long time to watch it because I wanted, you know what, I, I, I wanted to pay to watch it because I heard what it was about. Um, I, I love movies like this. I have seen many movies like this, and I know what I know all the excuses that people like it have. With you know, there's no big excitement. The genius of it is the detail and the fact that you know they there was nothing explosive. It's a fucking film, right? Like I want to see something. I mean, I know a lot of people made jokes about the fact that you know the most exciting bit is Mark Ruffalo running to photocopy a document. Like <laughs> half the things that happen don't actually make sense. The timeline stuff doesn't make sense. Um, uh, there, there, there's you know all these threats like oh you you know the Catholic Church if we don't do it the Catholic Church is going to get you well the Catholic Church famously did actually you know uh, uh, put out death threats and do quite aggressive things but in this there was nothing so basically it's a load of people that didn't talk about paedophiles because someone whispered in their ear not to and then they did that's that's it and surprise surprise journalists love it because you know in in the in the dying art form is journalism they, they you know it's a film that makes them look powerful the performances i didn't think the performances were particularly good i mean they weren't bad but uh, the madman geezer was just the madman geezer mark ruffalo was mark ruffalo as usual i mean i mean i couldn't tell you a single defining characteristic about any of those people it was truly straight to i mean i mean that's weird it's it's wrong to use tv movie as a bad as a as a measure of bad because TV movies nowadays are obviously amazing and TV is amazing. I, I, it's like a 1980s TV movie that was deemed too shit to go on the Hallmark Channel and then slipped out on a VHS in a box set with three Danielle Steele um, adaptations and then put on QVC briefly before being dumped <laughs> into Poundorama. It is fucking dog shit and I cannot believe it was failed critics number one. <laughs> The worst film. It's not the worst film of the year. It's the worst film ever. (laughs) 
Well, no, James, because the worst film ever um, is oof, my my number one worst film of the year is Yoga Hoses. Right. And Which, if you I... told me 20 years ago or even 10 years ago that I would be saying Kevin Smith has made the worst film of the year, I would have said you're a fucking mental. I bought, yeah. bought all of his films. I spend all my money in his fucking shop buying his T-shirts and posters and toys and memorabilia, travelling to London to go and see his shows. I just... Oh, you saw him live? It's bad. It is right. so bad. I mean, I, see, I, I, I mean, I'm the same as you. I'm a massive fan. I've read the books. Saw Clerks when it first came out. I mean, this... Sorry, I'm again, I'm going back to the running theme. This is how things have changed. When Clerks came out, I obviously heard about it because it was during the old Tarantino era of, you know, underground filmmaking. But the, the, the beauty of it was Empire gave it five stars, right? And I'm like, whoa. The last film that got five stars was fucking Goodfellas or whatever. <laughs> this is going to be a masterpiece. Empire now would never give a Clerks five stars. No. Empire then did. Anyway, why is Yoga Hoser so bad? Let's, let's start with the tagline. Mm. A movie for kids from the director of Clerks. Is it for kids? Yeah. Oh, I assumed it was because it stars his daughter. I thought it was yeah. Well, here's the, that's problem one. Right, it's that is for, a problem. For kids, right. Problem two is is the cast. Right. So you've got he's in it, Kevin Smith. Right. His wife is in it, and his daughter is in it. Oh dear. He's managed to get Johnny Depp in. Johnny Depp's daughter's in it, and Johnny Depp's ex-wife, Vanessa Paradis, right. is in it. So straight away, you've, you've got six people who, from, you know, family members. And then you've got the rest of the viewer skewed crew, like people like Muse and stuff, turning up. That's, uh, that is, this is fascinating because this is the ultimate recipe for disaster. The worst situation anyone can ever be in as a creative is to be around people that telling, telling them what they're doing is good when it's shit. Which is why, you know, I don't ask my wife if my stand-up shows are any good, or you don't ask your friends, right? You, you, you need strangers. You know, whenever I the, the the best projects that I've ever worked on have been around people that I'd never met before, right? Where suddenly you put everyone in the room that is basically family, especially when you factor in children. I mean, you like no one's going to walk up to Johnny Depp's daughter in front of Johnny Depp and tell her to do another take. No, and they basically, Johnny Depp's daughter and Kevin Smith's daughter, play two Canadian clerks. Right. Right? There's one joke in the film, which is they say, a boot. Literally, the whole film is oh, making yeah. fun of the Canadian accent. Well, You, that, you need to watch it. this just for research purposes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm telling gonna... you, there's one joke. And then it descends into a trauma-esque thing with um, these little Nazi animated, well, not animated, like toy sausages that right. are Nazis. It, it just makes no sense. There's no plot. There's no storyline. It, it, it literally is making fun of Canada. All the shelves are filled with maple syrup. What, what? I, I just can't. I don't even know where to start with this. I, it's just horrendous. And it, and it follows on from, from Tusk, where Johnny Depp plays this um, French detective who was in the first film. He now appears in the second film. Oh, yeah. Made up to the nine. So you don't really, you're not supposed to know it's him. In the first one, he, he appeared under a pseudonym. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is part two. There's another one of these to come. No. Yeah, Moose something or other. What's weird is that I've seen some other films of his, experimental ones, where he's tried something different, and they've not been great. With the one about like the cult, 
Yeah, no, no. But we touched upon this before. That was I actually really enjoyed with John Goodman. I really, I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and and it's yeah. So I mean, I mean, this is staggering. I am I am definitely going to watch Yoga Hoses now. And and I tell you what, what the viewers, anyone still listening, I will. Um, <laughs> I will, after we watch it, I'm going to live tweet myself. Watch uh, the, the night that this show airs, I'm going to live tweet myself watching Yoga Hoses. So if I was this. Canadian, I'd be just fucking furious watching this shit. Because it's not funny. It's just not funny. Right. You do that joke once, the boot thing, yeah. I get it. After it's been done 20 times in the same film, it's like, really? We get it. That sounds awful. Hello, this is Owen here, producer of Field and Mullinger's Underground Nights and also co-host of the Failed Critics Film Podcast with Steve Norman. Obviously, you're a little bit too late now to go and vote in the Failed Critics End of Year Awards, which Paul and James have been discussing in this episode, but you can still go and check out the Failed Critics Film Podcast where we round up all of the films that Field and Mullinger have been discussing over at failedcritics.com. Whilst you're there, why not browse some of our reviews or have a listen to our sister podcast, Character Unlock, with Andrew Brooker and John Miller, which is all about computer games. Anyway, let's get back to Underground Nights. Let's be super positive. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do our top five films. Let's do it. Come on, do you want to go first? What have you got at five? I'm going to put a 13th in, the Netflix documentary. Nice. Just because... It is absolutely brilliant. It's mind blowing. It's it's the best it's the best documentary of its kind since that one on the war on drugs, the house I live in, house we live in. Thirteenth, I, I thought was great. Um, okay, well, my number five is tickled. Nice, nice. Which I, is, I know it's on your list to watch. It's a documentary about competitive endurance tickling. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> right. When when you start watching it and you see the clips of this, the first thing you think is, that's a sex thing. Right. However, David Farrier, the guy, he's kind of like um, a New Zealand Louis Theroux. Right. He kind of does light entertainment documentaries and he kind of gets involved in projects and he finds this stuff about competitive tickling online. He writes a, a blog about it. Mm. And as soon as he writes this blog, he starts getting these threats from this company called Jane O'Brien Media. Right. He then contacts them and says, look, you know, I, I want to do a documentary about this this subject. I think it's fascinating. Can we speak? Mm. And uh, he gets an email saying that this is a sport. It's very hostile reply, by the way, saying that this yeah. is a sport. Uh, it's passionately and exclusively heterosexual. It's an athletic endurance activity. And because this guy, the documentary maker, is a homosexual, they do not want him associated with their sport in any way, shape or form. Right. Which is immediately a red flag to a bull, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course. The gays are like that. (laughs) 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 That ironic homophobia. (laughs) This is one of those documentaries where you can't really talk about it. I, I'm, I'm absolutely going to be watching this today. So I know we've talked about Fail Critics, and even Steve loved it, and Steve fucking hates everything. Yeah. So, yeah, so that that's all I'm going to say on this until you've seen it, and then we can talk about it again. But, yeah, my number five is tickled. What's your number four? My number four is Baskin. Ooh. Have you seen that? Yeah, is, the, is it a Turkish horror film? It is, exactly. It's very good. I, I went to Horrorama in November time, there was a horror, a horror festival in um, Toronto, 
which is about a 15 hour drive for me. So it's a flight basically. And uh, I emailed some comedy clubs near and said, look, have uh, you got any work for me this weekend? So I basically could go and go to this festival. Anyway, it was like a, a convention, sorry, not a festival. I went, I met Elsa Shewolf of the SS. I met all the cast of my bloody Valentine. And Raven Banner had a table there. And I picked up some amazing Canadian movies like The Demolisher. I picked up Bunny the Killer Thing. Oh, I love that. It's a great, great, great movie. And Baskin was one of the movies they said, this, you, you know, you've got to see this. And and it's it's uh, brilliant. E- Eli Roth, you know, famously was um, had his mind blown by it, and it's just a a, a a vicious depiction of hell, kind of like Hellraiser. It was like watching Hellraiser again. Um, I actually only watched it the other day. I bought so I bought about thirty movies back. From yeah, most I saw your tweets. You, you, were, yeah. uh, you seem to be loving it up there. I absolutely loved it. See, now my intention is to make it to any horror, horror film festivals I can, of uh, conventions, sorry. Um, but Baskin is number four. Well, my number four, and I think you've seen this, mm-hmm. is The Greasy Strangler. Yes, indeed. That I won't tell you where that appears on my list. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Literally, even now, me and Catherine will just start shouting bullshit artists at each other it's just so oh it's absolutely amazing it's transfixing it's beautiful despite the uh it's 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 utterly bizarre clearly they've been asked to act that way which is so weird because it's like they're acting like bad actors and obviously as a connoisseur of bad actors and as a bad actor myself i'm fascinated by the concept of deliberately bad acting because it's quite hard to do. Weirdly, I I have actually I'd, I'd very recently bought the, the Video Dead on VHS, which is I think the last movie that the lead guy had actually made. I agree, uh, couldn't agree more. It's brilliant. It's a it's a really hard one to describe, isn't it? It's like a father son getting involved in the, in, a, in a love triangle while doing disco tours, disco tours. but yeah, so and uh, set against the backdrop of a serial killer. Yeah, and I, and I will say, I mean, it's interesting. But one one critic, Wendy Eyed, I think. It's oh, a t- I've got it in front of me, Wendy Eyed. Do you want to read it? Yeah, she gave. She gave. But I was quite proud that that. I mean, I'm <laughs> going to give away a surprise here. But she gave my favourite film of the year no stars. No stars. Right, and she gave Comedian's Guide two stars. So I'm like, whoa. <laughs> she said, I've got it here I've actually got the quote like an early John Waters movie but without the sophistication this aggressively inane horror comedy manages to cram in every disgusting deviant activity you couldn't begin to imagine if she just stopped there that's my film of the year but then she goes yeah. on and says and yet it was still rather boring <laughs> it really isn't boring and this again where the critics did a great service I felt you know and I, I include Empire Total Film and pretty much all of them most people did give this you know uh, four, four star reviews which I think made a lot of people want to seek it out and see it and, and I mean most you know I mean the thing is Kim Newman said in Empire like you just can't get it out of your head and you really can't um, no. yeah choice my friend Cool. And your number three? It's a three-way tie. Oh. It is uh, two. It was three movies, all of which were supposed to star Nicolas Cage this year, but only <laughs> uh, two did because he was too busy to the third. So I still included it. Uh, the Trust with Nicolas Cage and Elijah Wood. Yeah, loved it. Two dirty cops, just brilliant. Doesn't go anywhere. Doesn't have an ending, but just they have brilliant chemistry. Um an almost identical film with the identical criticism, Dog Eat Dog, Paul Schrader's new film. Again, 
uh, rather than being cops, they're actually crooks. But same thing, they're exactly the same. They're um, same. The brilliant dialogue again doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't have an ending, but just fun to watch. And most films aren't. And then I am Wrath with John Travolta was supposed to be, uh, it was a vehicle written for Nicolas Cage, a guy's wife is murdered, uh, and it turns out that he used to be special ops, so he goes out and kills them all. I mean, a completely original plot that I've never... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe zero. I actually think Nicolas Cage has already made that movie <laughs> last year, but he has, um, about four times. In theory, I Am Wild is diabolical. Um, however, uh, entertainment-wise, it's just absolutely brilliant. Um, so uh, those are my three uh, joint thirds. You? My, th- my third is The Neon Demon. Nice, which again, I must—I haven't seen, but I know I will love it. Although I, I, it, it was... Mm, will you though? Well, it, it may be that. Yeah, Nicholas Wine in Refn, whose other work I fucking hate. Pretty right. much all of his films I hate. Do you really? I'll, Interesting. Yeah, I properly don't like any of them. I think they're all garbage. So, I, you know, and I had to drive like over an hour to the cinema to see this. Wow. And sat there and I was like, holy fucking shit. This is how you do visuals and music to carry a film because it looked amazing right. the soundtrack is off the hook the story is so minimalist so slow it's you know delves into the world of models and it's so superficial and this is what got me everyone complained oh it's so superficial but well yeah because it's about models right of course it fucking is right and and the the, the ending is people thinking well, why the fuck is this an 18 and you get to the last 10 minutes and you go, oh, that's why it's an 18. Wow. I, I know, James, that you, I think you, if you're in the right frame of mind, you've yeah. got you know, maybe a, a glass of wine, some quiet time, you need yeah. to really sit, focus, crank the sound up. And I, I think you're going you're gonna to love the Neon Demon. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, I mean, only God forgives, I didn't dislike. It's just, you know, usual complaint, you know, just... It's just all a bit pointless, but it looks beautiful. But um, no, I can't wait. I'm going to check that out. Um, so number two is, uh, it's joint. My number twos are More Pandid and Dirty Grandpa. Beautiful, because I'll, I'll butt in now, because my number two is More Pandid. Oh, oh my goodness. That is, <laughs> that's insane. I'm not even joking. Okay, well, tell you what, Dirty Grandpa will admit, because I've already talked about that. So I'll just stick with you. Yeah, but, but, but our joint twos are, are More Pandid. It just gets better every time, doesn't it? It does. It's caused... We haven't spoken about it that much, to be fair, on this podcast. It's the uh, it's the foul critics who seem to have taken the brunt where I started posting the other people DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> I, right, and... They were saying it's like It Follows, but like a DVD. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's like the opposite of that wanker who turns up at your house with an art house DVD insisting you watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> should we, should we, because we haven't talked about it so much. So, should we talk? So, for those who don't I actually think know, we have. I think we have. But not, not, not loads. We'll put it this way you can watch it on Amazon Video for £1.49. I posted this on, on Twitter before. My favourite bit is that bit when. Leslie Grantham is talking. <laughs> and Leslie Grantham is wondering. I mean, understand me. We're all wondering why why Leslie, why Leslie Grantham's the chief of police. Why his number two? 
is an Italian geezer doesn't speak any English. I mean, clearly, it's because the guy had some money to put into the film. But there's a wonderful moment when I don't think Leslie Grandin realised the camera was going to pick this up, and if it did, that it would end up in the film where the geezer speaks. And I think he's done a Sammo Hung thing where he doesn't actually speak English. He's, he's, he's repeating it, you know, yeah. parrot style, um, phonetically. Like he's not actually, doesn't actually know what he's saying. And Leslie Grantham looks over at the geezer as if to go, what the f- Fuck have I got myself? He looks absolutely like, what the fuck is going on? And it made it into the film. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually dug out some mob-handed reviews here. Oh, oh, I didn't realise there were any. Yeah, well, well, mate, from mainly from Amazon, right? All of the Amazon reviews from the from early summer, yeah, from people who haven't bought the film are all five stars. Right. All the ones from people who after the film has come out that have verified purchases. But this is my favourite. You ready? Yeah. And this is a proper verified purchase as well. So it's not someone's made this up. Yeah. I normally only buy low-budget Brit films with the word hooligan, Essex, or the craze in the title. <laughs> oh, hang on. This is, this is, this is mine. Is this you? <laughs> is this you? Have you written this? Yeah, it might have It's not, is it? No, I'm, I'm hoping they will bring out a new film like... soon called The Craze Hooligan Years and their part in the Essex Murders. Then I won't have to buy any more British films. Is that what it says? Yeah. Mob Handed is a vigilante film which tries to be different with great music. <laughs> and a gut-wrenching story about child murder by a Westminster politician. So it's up to date and not living in the past. <laughs> There's some sound issues in the film, but it's refreshingly different. The craze don't even get a mention and none of the paedophiles get killed in Essex. <laughs> it doesn't say <laughs> There's a few ex-hooligans in there, but no mention of the Amers or Green Street. There isn't even a drugs deal. On that basis, I get five stars, although Ronnie and Reggie won't be happy. <laughs> if that's not the greatest Amazon review ever, I don't know that what is, it is. That is the greatest. Oh, my God. I mean, it's it's amazing to look at it, to see. You're right. All of these, um, I mean, all of these fake reviews that, that, that were done by friends of theirs or people that they know. I mean, I love this line when it's like... Uh, so bad that even Danny Dyer would give it a miss. <laughs> that oh sorry Matt, I've got this. I've just realised yeah. that that review. There's one line at the bottom which I missed off, which closes with, "It's a great film. I just wish Dave Courtney had more screen time." <laughs> <laughs> do you I think mean... they hire Dave Courtney, or do they hire Dave Courtney because he owns a tank? Oh, oh, I think both. I mean, that's a good point because he owns a tank, but also, I mean, they, they obviously know him. It, I mean, it, what's a shame is obviously with movies like that, people try and slip them out. Like, they don't want them to be reviewed by The Telegraph or The Guardian. But I would love the, for them to be. Like, but, but it goes to, I mean, I'm, oh, God, it's, it's weird. I go, the, I go to the mob-handed page on Amazon, and it says, you purchased this item on uh, 10th of August, and again on, and it's got all the dates that I've <laughs> yes, ordered. Yes, so it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I love, I love, and more rounded, they are the law. Brutal, bloody British. I mean, I mean, what's funny about it is the, the art of, uh, I guess the art of film poster design has got somewhat easy. In, in the 80s, you could tell by a cover what was good and what was shit. Now you can't tell. That cover does not look any better or worse than the poster for the Mechanic 2 or for Jack Reacher. I mean, all, which are also, you know, diabolical. But, you know, it looks like a perfectly normal, and yet it is the most ham-fitted. But of course, the other thing about Mob is it's hugely offensive. Yes. Have you heard Owen review it? Because he got, well, this and Killer Bitch, he got really angry. <laughs> really well, angry. Misogynistic. <laughs> Yeah, it's pro vigilant. Yeah, I mean, what fascinates me about the more banded reviews is I want to read the two and three star ones. Like the five star ones are all people taking the piss or friends of the filmmakers. The one star ones are all people with brains. Whereas the, who are the people? Like, like who are the people? I mean, like, okay, so someone here has given it. It's a verified purchase. So it's three stars. The best thing about this movie is 60 Legs and Jess Conrad. If you're a fan, you need this for your collection. <laughs> Was that his mum? It's, yeah, it's just someone's gone, look, don't be too nice about the film because the mugs didn't pay me enough. But you've got to tell everyone what a legend I am, Jess Conrad. <laughs> Who the fuck is Jess Conrad? Shall we just say, if you haven't seen Mob Handed, mm. you need to, anyone listening to this. Oh, Jess Conrad's that old paedophile, uh, the old paedophile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Judge, well, they, yeah. Whoever that is, they've actually spelt his name wrong. They've put Jess Cornard. I know, I know. <laughs> oh my God, Jess Conrad was like a 60s musician. I mean, how the fuck did he end up? My God, he was in, he was in, he was in movies like Ragdoll. And Conga and the body in the library, and he ends up in Mob Andy. I, there's just there are so many things wrong with it, and it is so terrible. But the beauty of it is, it's so utterly terrible that you can't help but be entertained. And it, it, there's it, it, so much to talk about once you once you've seen it. People say that things are um, you know transfixing like a car crash or anything else. I mean, the wonderful thing with this is is it is the most transfixed I've ever been. But no one gets, no one gets, you know, it's not a car crash because no one's died. It's the most brilliantly awful thing I've ever seen. Well, you've, you've not, have you seen Killer Bitch yet? I still haven't seen it, actually. Mm. Well, when Jason Mariner irons out the, the bird from El Dorado in wheelchair. Oh, that's... That. And then nicks her wheelchair and rides off in it. <laughs> I have to see that. <laughs> I'm going to iron you out, darling. <laughs> It's just hysterical. <laughs> Should we do our number ones? Number ones, yes, indeed. Number ones. So uh, uh, my number one is The Greasy Strangler, which we've already talked about. Absolutely oh, genius. amazing. I'm, I'm stupidly pleased. Yeah, well, th- and thank you for recommending it to me. Should I do my number one? Yeah. It's Clown Forever. Oh, which, again, okay, yeah, explain to the listeners. Someone, anyone that's listened to the cult comedy one will know it. I still haven't seen it. Gus, I haven't seen it. I take it it's good then. Oh, the, the, the boys are back. You've been five years on. Mm. Um, obviously, Caspin uh, is, is still up to his um, shenanigans. Frank's now got sort of children. He's got a new baby. Casper arrives at the christening, straight up the nanny. No, nice. So if, if, if anyone listening, this is the sequel to, to Clown, which is a movie that Paul recommended to me in a comedy special. And uh, I absolutely loved it. And it was a huge hit in what country is it again? Denmark. 
Denmark. It's a Denmark comedy. The, um, the sequel's and... been bought up by um, Draft House. Oh, really? Yeah. And well, well, I'll, 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 I'll whisk through it quickly. So, yeah. You, yeah. yeah. In the, it, literally, in the opening, you see the kid from the camping trip and the yeah. mum's still wearing the eye patch. <laughs> Casper's like gutted that Frank won't go on what he calls um, hush hush nights, which is basically going out and cheating on your wife. <laughs> we then end up with Frank taking the baby swimming. That does not end well. Casper sends keeps sending Frank pictures of him sixty nineing women standing up, which becomes a like a long running joke in it, and he, he ends up showing them to his mother in law with the patch. But then we kind of get into cameo territory. That I, I can't pronounce his name. Nicholas Costa Welder. Right. Do you know Jamie yeah. Lannister from Game of Thrones? Oh, right. I don't watch Game of Thrones. Okay. Very good looking Danish yeah. guy. Because they're obviously big fans of, 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 of the show and these guys. But Casper and Frank's relationship breaks down. And Casper moves to LA to reinvent himself as the Great Dane. Wow. Frank's feeling sort of really sorry for himself and uh, decides to follow him out there. <laughs> and then we get into their... You know the last one, was it the Tour de Puss? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. This yeah. one, their thing is the pussy snout, <laughs> where you bury your nose into a lady's vagine and do three big snorts. And um, Casper does this every morning with the, with the, with the ladies in LA. <laughs> Mate, these two... Out of their comfort zone in LA is fucking hilarious, and they uh, they get a dog, and they get a Great Dane, and right. they do. I just, I, you know, the thing in the first one, yeah, yeah, you know what he does to the mother-in-law, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is way, way worse. Then Frank does something <laughs> absolutely deplorable. I mean, I mean, because I mean, as you know, what I loved about the first one was, despite like the, the, the genius of it, was the fact it didn't try, it, they didn't try and make them like a bar. They did these awful things, but it was amazing. I mean, better, funnier than any Hollywood comedy. Yeah. Are you saying this one is even more extreme? More extreme. I mean, what Frank does is beyond the pale. But then right. Casper finds out what he's done, and what he demands in retribution is just fucking horrifying and when he agrees to it you're like no there's no way this is happening oh mate you've got to see it it's just beyond the pale and that but they get away with it again you can't can't can't. help but love these two fucking danish idiots who are all they want to do is fuck everything that moves cheat on their wives and and (laughs) to the point where they go oh why can't we go on a hush hush night together clearly talking about cheating on their wives Disgraceful, I mean, I mean, I, mate. Absolutely disgraceful, but beautiful and lovable. It's just so disappointing that, you know, it's just fascinating that this, you've got a film that's massive in Denmark, obviously big enough in America to get funding to make a sequel. Enough people know about it. This is the wonderful thing about the filmmaking world at the moment is how you can get these films that come out that will really never really hit the radar in a traditional sense. Like, I mean, I don't know, I could be wrong. Maybe they, maybe they have been featured in Entertainment Weekly and places like that. The, most people haven't heard of them. You know, I mean, again, I am a comedy connoisseur. I live, breathe, sleep comedy. When you mentioned Clowns Me, I never heard of it. Of course, when I Google it, I discovered lots of people do know about it. Of course, there's superstars in Denmark. But um, 
this film sounds genius. And this is why we do this podcast, so people can hear about movies like that. So thank you. You've got Isla Fisher turns up in this, and the the guy from Maroon 5. It's just bizarre that obviously Uh people have now become fans of them, and Uh that does make me feel a little bit... Do you know what I mean? When they've got these cameos from, like, superstars. Yeah. And um, bizarrely enough, um, Frank is... um, I saw him. He was actually in Game of Thrones. No way. Yeah, he plays the librarian. That's insane. Cool, well, that's our review of the year, mate. I really want to add, actually, that um, there's a list of films that I'm aware of that I desperately want to see, which may be terrible or may be good. I don't know, because it's an unfortunate fact that you cannot trust anything. I mean, I would like to think American Honey is going to be amazing. Uh, is it? It's, it's, I've, I'm, it's three hours. Right, right. Ish. Which is too which is too long and less. Very, the thing about American Honey, right? If you're going to do a kitchen sink film, it yeah. needs to be quite kitchen sinky. Right. Being set in America and having um, what's his face in it? Yeah, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. It's a little bit glossy. Right. That doesn't really work with Andrew Arnold movies. Doesn't doesn't work. It's a big kind of. But anyway, I, I, I don't let me put you off. I'm curious what you think. I mean, again, that again got glowing reviews, but who knows? Obviously, Paul Verhoeven's L. You know, rape revenge thriller. Uh, Kubo, Silence, Scorsese's film. I mean, I love Scorsese. I hate being bored, and it sounds fucking boring. Um, also starring uh, Andrew Garfield, Hackford, Hacksaw Ridge, which, again, I'm sure is very good. La La Land it apparently is the greatest film uh, of all time. So it's Yes, probably... I've heard it's the greatest film of all time, James. Trouble is, I fucking hate musicals, so it's not going to work for me. So do I, uh, but it, <laughs> I mean, I also hate films that are the greatest film of all time. James? Always a pleasure. Love you, brother. Love you too, man. This has been a lot of fun. See you soon. See you soon. Bye. Underground Nights is presented by James Mullinger and Paul Field. This episode was produced by me, Owen Hughes, and the music was provided by James Yule. Underground Nights is a part of the Failed Critics Network of Podcasts, along with Failed Critics Film Podcast and our gaming podcast, Character Unlock. You can check us out at failedcritics.com forward slash underground hyphen nights or find us on Twitter at UG Nights. Thanks for listening.